But I want us to start today by looking at uh, just a couple verses in Joshua chapter 2. The verse, verse 1 says this, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and they came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are coming to thee, for they are entered into thine house, and they, and they become to search out all the country. And the women took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they are, or whence they were. And it came to pass about the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, whither the men went, I wot not. Uh, pursue after them quickly, and you shall overtake them. But she had brought them to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, and had laid them in order upon the roof. And the men uh, pursued after them the way to Jordan under the, unto the fords. And as soon as, they came, uh, as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. All right, so that's, I don't know about you, but do you love a good action story? There's a lot of action in the Bible, and the book of Joshua is definitely that. Uh, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible, and uh, just this story that we're going to be talking about today, again, a true story, uh, and, but it really shines how God works in people's lives, and where God, what we would consider someone impossible, unworthy, kind of forgettable, if you will, but God takes that person and turns them into a trophy of grace and mercy. And as we look at that, as we look at the story of Rahab, the genealogy of Jesus Christ reveals a story of grace and mercy. Uh, hold your place in Joshua chapter 2, and I want you to go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We've said it before a few times that when you look at the genealogies in the Bible, be honest, most of us read those to try to get to sleep at night. <laughs> okay? We read names we can't pronounce, and uh, we just struggle through them, so a lot of times we skip over them. But this morning, I want us to take just a very brief time in looking at a very precious passage, believe it or not, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar, and Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Having fun so far? Okay. Verse 4. And Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. And this is where I want you to really pay attention. Verse 5. And Salmon begot Boaz of Rechab, or, uh, or Rahab. And Boaz begot Obed of Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse. Okay? And this goes on from there. But one thing that's really interesting, when you look at the genealogy that Matthew gives in his account, is this, there are actually five women that are mentioned in the account. Five women. You have, and these are the order, you have Tamar, you have Rahab, you have Ruth, and the next you would have in verse 6, and that is Bathsheba. And then, of course, the last but not least, Mary. And so these, are, these women, as you see here, you know, some would say, when you look at the lives of these women, Many would write them off as being insignificant, unworthy, unqualified by most people. But God's ways are not our ways. It says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, that God has chosen the few foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. 
And so again, as we look at how God chooses these five women in particular, most of us would we'd actually, if anything, in human eyes, it would be like almost a stain on the record of Jesus Christ, of his family tree. But as we're going to see here, and we're going to look predominantly at the story of Rahab today, it is here in Jericho that God's grace and mercy are on display through the testimony of Rahab, who was a trophy of grace and mercy. Going back to Joshua chapter 2, this is to this morning, at least starting out here, this is going to be kind of a little bit more of a Bible study. I want to teach you a little bit of how to study your Bible and how the Bible is laid out. And the way that this chapter, chapter 2, is laid out is actually very unique. It almost has uh, connecting ends, if you will. In chapter 1, or excuse me, in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Joshua, we read of the sending of the spies. There were two spies that went out secretly. Joshua sent them. It seems like even the rest of the children of Israel didn't realize what was going on. We don't really have, there are some theories out there who they could be. We really don't know. It's impossible to know. But one thing that we see here, that the spies were sent. They were sent to gather information, intelligence on the ground, so to speak, and then to come back and report to, uh, to Joshua. At the end of Joshua chapter 2, look with me in verse 22. Okay? The, as the, we, we know the little bit of the story in the middle. And what happens is this. Rahab, of course, takes them and she lets them out. And, of course, they make a promise. We'll get to that a little bit later. But now the spies go out. Verses 22 through 24, they went out to the mountain for three days. And then, verse 23, the two men returned. And they descended from the mountain and passed over, over the Jordan, came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told them all the things that befell him. So the, so the chapter begins with the spies being sent. The chapter ends with the spies bringing a report. So you see that, kind of, it's kind of like the parenthesis, if you will, of the chapter. Now we get into the meat of it. This is amazing, okay? We see here in chapter 2, verses 2 through 7, that Rahab protects the spies. She brings them into her home. She hides them. She, she sends the, her, the pursuers a different way. She gives them that protection. We also see that on the other end of the parentheses, verses 15 through 21, we see how the... Uh, the spies were let go out of her house, but remember they make this uh, this pact, if you will, this this contra- uh, this promise that you will protect me and my family is the idea. Rahab is pleading, please protect me and my family. And of course, a scarlet thread was put in there, and so we see again at that first part that Rahab protects the spies, and then at the end we see that Rahab's family is now protected. That brings us now to the heart of what this chapter is all about, and that's what we want to focus on today. Verses 8 through 14. Get the right chapter. Chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. It says here, And before they were laid down, she came up unto, up, up unto them uh, upon the roof. She goes to the spies. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, that your terror is fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, who we utterly destroyed. Okay, so we kind of got to take a break here just for a moment, just to kind of bring us up to speed. Where are we at in this story? For those who may be not familiar with, what are we talking about here? What is going on? Remember this, that the children of Israel were in slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. Okay, God, through his powerful hand, brings Moses, a deliverer, to take the children of Israel out of bondage. And, of course, through the ten plagues, God brings them out. They're now free. 
Now, 40 years in the wilderness, okay? They are now about to enter into the promised land, the, the land that God promised to even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers. Now they are about ready to enter the land. Moses has died. And now there is a new leader, and that is Joshua. Joshua, in order to survey the scene, what are they about up against? He sends in the two spies, and they meet Rahab there. And so what's interesting is this. This structure here, as we're looking at this, they come to Rahab because in, anchored in the story is the testimony of Rahab. This is very important. We need to see this. So how God delivers victory to Joshua and the children of Israel over Jericho is very important. This kind of sets the stage for really Israel's history from then on. So as we think about this, Rahab is here, and this is important for us to understand. Who exactly is Rahab? What is she doing and talking to these men? Why is she hiding them? And what is the outcome of this going to be? So there's really things that are so much. I want to say this. There's a lot to kind of chew on this morning, so bear with me. But the question is this. Why does Rahab stand out so much in this passage? And why does Rahab, why is she mentioned in Jesus' family tree? And we're going to kind of see the, the reason for that now. We see, first of all, about Rahab herself, that Rahab was in need of God's grace and mercy. Rahab was in need of God's grace and mercy. You have to understand, first of all, her reputation preceded her. What was she? What was her occupation, if you will? She was a lady of the night. She was a prostitute, a harlot. It says again in verse 1 that the men came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So her reputation preceded her. Now, what's interesting to note is this, that throughout history there was different... um, Writers that try to downplay that, that title. Even Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, actually uh, referred to her as an innkeeper, more so than a harlot. That was his words. And partly as he's writing Jewish history to the Romans, okay, so he's trying to make them look better than that. Why would you have a, a hero of the story, a prostitute? Okay, go figure. So that's one of the reasons he did that. But when you look at the other accounts in the book of James, chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 11, it clearly mentions what Rahab's real background was. She was indeed a prostitute. She was in need of God's grace and mercy. Another thing, too, about this, why did Rahab need grace and mercy? Is because she knew her, and the city for that matter, Jericho, that their situation was bleak. They knew about the coming of the uh, children of Israel. They knew about Joshua and the conquest that happened. Again, here in verses 8 through 14, they said here again in verse, uh, uh, go with me to verse 9. He says that we, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. And when you came out of Egypt, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And this is the comment, verse 11. And as soon as we had heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. I don't know about you, but that's amazing when you consider what she said that. Got to remember, she didn't grow up in church. She didn't go to Sunday school. She didn't do Thursday night visitation. She didn't do it. That's not her background. But what she heard, and I mentioned this morning in Sunday school, Jericho sat on a trade route. Remember, for those who are in Sunday school, what was the Middle East about? It's like a 
Shopping mall, all right? <laughs> Remember, Jericho is one of those spots on the trade route where people trade in. So I'm sure they would have heard stories of the children of Israel and what was happening. And when they heard these stories herself, she, knew, she took it seriously. She took it seriously of the impending danger and doom that was going to come over the city. She took, it, she took it very seriously. Her situation was bleak. Therefore, she needed God's mercy and grace upon her. And in that, what did she do next? She cried out for God's mercy and grace. Verse 11 again, she cried out, it says, For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. You know what? Like I said, she did not really grow up with understanding what the Bible was all about. She didn't understand about who the real God of Israel. She had only heard passing stories. But she heard enough to know that there was a true God, and that was the God of Israel. And she was placing, she cried out for grace and mercy for this God that she had very little knowledge of. Isn't it amazing to see how God works in people's lives? I don't know about you, but most of us here probably were not saved the very first time we heard the gospel. It usually took several times to hear it and to really appreciate it and to really understand it. And when that happens, guess what? The light goes on and says, like, yes, there is a God and I'm going to follow him. That's amazing. That's what we see here in Rahab's life. But Rahab cried out for grace and mercy. That's the only thing she could do. I like what uh, one commentator says, James Frossett Brown says concerning this, that Rahab believed what her countrymen didn't believe. She believed in the God and the impending danger. She cried out for mercy. And you don't see that from anyone else in the city. They're re- probably relying on their own gods. They understood that their situation was dire as well. But she believed what her countrymen didn't believe. I like what D. Martin Lloyd Jones said about this, that faith shows itself in the whole personality. She put herself, she understood exactly what was about to take place and that she, her situation was dire. She had to cry out for help because of the impending doom that was happening there. You see, Rahab's faith was shown in her action. First of all, we talk about faith, and what does it faith deal with? Faith deals with your mind, your will, and your emotion. In her mind, she knew, Rahab knew that Jehovah was the true God. And she believed that. With her emotions, she feared when she heard of God's wonders, when she heard of all the things that were done out of the wilderness and all these other kings, her emotions, she definitely had fear. It definitely gripped her heart. But then she was spurned to action as well. She had will. She had action. And in that, by her faith, she protected the spies that came to her door that night. And then she also pleaded for her family. He pleaded for her family. It says here in verse 12, look with me, Joshua 2, verse 12. She, she goes to the men and says, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters, and all they have, and deliver our lives from death. So she was crying out again for her own life, as well as for her family as well. She was concerned about that. I think that's really amazing, considering her background, considering her occupation, that she really most wouldn't care less, but she cared for her family as well. Now, you may be wondering, too, why in the world would the children of Israel attack Jericho? Why would God do that? Well, we see here, actually, that there was great sin that was in the midst uh, actually, archaeologists have uncovered several sites within Jericho where child sacrifices were performed. They found skeletons and evidence of that. It was definitely a pagan place. 
And God, as he's coming in, he didn't want that to become a snare to the children of Israel. And his command was to take over. In other words, there was much sin and iniquity that was going on. Because of that sin, that's why Jericho was being judged. Very simple. But there was a hope. There was escape. There was salvation. And that's what exactly Rahab cried out for, for grace and mercy. Again, she pleaded to the spies to protect her family. As she has protected them, she now is protecting her family as well. So with that, we kind of come to the heart of the story now. We see here that how Rahab received God's grace and mercy. How did Rahab receive God's grace and mercy? It says in verse 14, And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land, that he will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let, down by, then she let them down by a cord through the window. For her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon that wall. Those in Sunday school we talked about. There's been archaeological evidence that there, those that types of houses did exist, literally on the wall. It says in verse 16, Then she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers be returned. And afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and thy father's household home unto thee. Verse 19, this is so important. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And, he will be, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us swear. And she said, un, un, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. There's a lot going on here. I know this is not our normal Sunday reading, but I think this is so important to look at the details that are going on here. You see, in the midst of this, there's a promise. She says, as I have protected you, you protect me. And there was a promise. And what was the token of that promise? It was that scarlet thread, that scarlet cord that she let them down by and that she placed in the window. This is so important. So the scarlet thread here, or the rope, was really a token of the promise. You see, Rahab's house now became a house of safety for herself and for the family. But you have to ask this question, what's the big deal about a scarlet thread? What's the big deal about a scarlet rope? Why would they use this, of all things, to indicate safety? I think what's happening here in the writer of Joshua, I believe Joshua himself, who's an eyewitness, is doing this very importantly because it's supposed to be remind us of another story that happened not that long ago where also there was a red or scarlet sign in a window or in a passageway. Can you think, what, what would that have been? The Passover, the Exodus, all right? By the way, we talked about this morning in Sunday school. When did this event take place, the taking of Jericho? It happened at Passover, okay? You have to re-listen to, this, to the Sunday School on, online if you want. You can get all that. Okay, but nonetheless, this was a reminder. That cord in the window was a reminder of the blood that was put up on the doorposts of the houses that they had in Egypt. 
So here's an interesting story. How many, when you read a book or, or watch a movie, let's think of the Star Wars trilogy, for example, okay? When you, when you read one, or if you watch one movie, isn't it helpful to watch the first part too? That way you can kind of know what's being, unless Star Wars did everything funky, but nonetheless, you understand what I'm saying. If you know the backstory, the next story makes more sense. A lot of times when we read the Bible, we kind of take things out like, oh, that's a nice story of Rahab. But when you link it to the other things that are taking place there, things come up the page and it makes it more powerful what God is really trying to teach us. And through the testimony of, of Rahab, we see that she was a trophy of God's grace and mercy and is done under a, in, a, in a wonderful way. And that was through that scarlet thread. I want to kind of break this down for you a little bit here. According to the, 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 um, the Hebrew word for cord here, look in verse 14. Uh, actually, verse, uh, verse 15. Sorry, wrong verse. Verse 15 says that she let them down by a cord through the window. The Hebrew word for cord here is hevel. Hevel here has uh, it's an interesting word. But if you notice in verse 18, it talks about a scarlet line or a scarlet thread. So there's actually a couple different words that are used here. And in Hebrew, it's a big difference, okay? The word that we find here in verse 15, the word hebel, it means this. It was a line that was used to mark out boundaries, and it was also a line that was used as well to talk about destruction, uh, talk about uh, tender experiences or painful. Actually, the line of childbirth, if you will, the pain that was associated with it, that same Hebrew word has that context. In other words, this, at that moment, when, when she made this promise with the men, she puts that cord in the window, she was in dire straits and under extreme circumstances, extreme duress. And that scarlet cord, the word Hebrew word used there, mentions that. But now, we're in verses 18, and then verses 21 and 22 talks again about that scarlet line or the scarlet thread that was in the window. That Hebrew, it's a different Hebrew word. And that Hebrew word is very important. That is tikva. Tikva means hope. The Israeli national anthem today is called hatikva, meaning the hope. In other words, what became, first of all, a line that was under duress and pressure and excruciating circumstances, and now is a thread, a line of hope, a line of expectation. So again, first there was the hevel, the marked out, the bound up pain and destruction. And this is interesting. I want us to point this out here. It says here in, uh, let's see here. Anyway, she sends them out. Remember this, that she sent them and she says, go out in the mountain, verse 16. And she sent them and said, go into the mountain, lest your pursuers meet you and hide yourself there three days. After three days, you can return to Joshua. This is amazing when we think about this. This is a great picture, I believe, of the grand story of salvation, like the Passover, that was pointing to the death and then the resurrection of Messiah. What do I mean by that? Because this, when Jesus went to the cross, he was under duress. He was under great weight of sin that you, you and I, I bore, that he bore upon himself, okay? And then what happens at the end? When he finally goes, he now is bringing hope. Tikva, salvation, that's the idea. So again, Unlike, not unlike the grand story of salvation, the Passover he was pointing to, this is the death and resurrection of the Messiah. We see the gospel presented right here in the story of Rahab. Pretty amazing. I think it's also important here, we talked about the allusions to the Exodus. Again, how that scarlet cord was in that window, 
reminding us of that blood that was put upon the doorposts in Egypt. But here's a couple other things that are really amazing, talking about the allusions to the Exodus. You remember in uh, the beginning of this chapter here, we see here that, uh, th- that Rahab, what did she do? When she is confronted by the king of Jericho and his servants, where did, you, where did those men go? What did she do? She basically lied. She diverted their attention. What happened at the Exodus? The very beginning of the story, Exodus chapter 1, we talked about the midwives. What did the midwives do? They divert attention. They lied. Very similar story of what happens here. We also see here that in verse 4, it says here, And the woman took the two men and hid them. The word hid here is the same Hebrew word as Jochebed, who hid Moses for three months. Even so, Rahab hides the men. You see the parallels, the illusions going back and forth. Like I said, when you watch that second part of the movie, if you've seen the first one, it makes more sense. That's kind of what's happening here. We also see another really interesting thing in verse 6, that she hid the men, where? On the roof in the stalks of flax. Well, do you remember this? When Jochebed sends Miriam to take Moses in that basket, where does she put the baby? Not just in the river, but in the flags or the reeds of the river. Even so, you have... Rahab, who's putting the men, hiding them in basically reeds or stalks or grain. You have that illusion that goes back. Again, here, something repeated. There's a theme that's going on here. We also see here in verse 10 and 11 that there's a retelling of the Exodus account. This is a great link that's going back. There's a reason why Rahab's story is in here. It's to point out of the great, mighty works of God in and through his people. Pretty amazing. We also see here the timing of this. When did this happen? It says here in verse 2, it says, Behold, there came men hither tonight. They talk about the shutting of the gate that happened at night. When did the Passover happen? At night. You see the parallels that are coming here. Again, an allusion to that. We also see here the allusion of the blood that was put up on the doorpost, just as it was in the Exodus at the night of the Passover. In verse 18, it says here, that uh, they put the the scarlet thread in the window, and then verse 19, that whosoever be that goeth out of, not the window, but of the doors of the house of the street, his blood shall be upon his head. Here's the allusion again to the blood. That's there. If you're out of that door in Egypt and the death angel comes, forget it, all right, as the firstborn. Same thing here. If you're out of Rahab's house when, when the armies come, forget it. You're on your own. Your blood's on your own head. You have that allusion that goes back and forth. But here's probably the greatest thing that I think we can compare these two. When we look at here, the illusions that go back to the Exodus is this. In the Passover, it was the Jewish people that were delivered from the Gentiles. Okay? But here in Joshua 2, we have Rahab, a Gentile, being saved by the Jewish people. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? You see those comparisons that are going on here. In other words... This is important to read the Bible, not just as separate stories, but as one beautiful interwoven book. God is the author of that. He uses human people and their own impressions of that as well. But we see here how beautifully the stories are woven together. By the way, Joshua, who's writing Joshua, was an eyewitness to the Passover. It's amazing to see that. In other words, God is at work here. Well, what happened to Rahab? Rahab, indeed, was rewarded for her faith in action. She believed God, and she acted upon it. 
She was, had a living faith. The book of James, chapter 2, says this. It actually compares uh, Abraham, first of all, being justified not by works but by faith. But it says in verse 25, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers, the spies, and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This is not saying that Rahab was saved by her works, but this was an outflow of what she believed in her heart. She believed that in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She believed in the God of Israel, and she acted upon it by knowing what was important. She helped the, the Hebrew spies that were there, and God blessed her for that. Because of that, Rahab is now in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11.31 says this, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the spies with peace. So again, this is her action. This is why her faith is exhibited on display. I think this bears us a question in our own lives today. Is your faith visible? You see here, here's a girl, a lady that, I mean, her background, if anything else, was hopeless from a spiritual standpoint even from an earthly standpoint for that matter. But she trusted in God and she lived out her faith. That's the question for you and for I today as well. Are we visible trophies of God's grace? Are we putting our faith into action? You say you believe in God, show me. All right? This is a practice that we should have as well. We see here that Rahab was ultimately rewarded by becoming a part of the family of God. Again, we read earlier in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, how that Rahab is mentioned there. But I want you to notice this again. Let's go back to Matthew 1, where we started earlier. And I want you to notice something very important. The way that the genealogy... You didn't think we'd become a Sunday morning just talking about genealogy today, but this is important. All right? Thank God you got the extra ticket. Okay, this is worth it. All right? So in, in chapter 1, verse 5 again... Notice very carefully how Rahab is described. It says again, And Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab. What is missing in the description? There's no mention that she is a harlot, a prostitute. It's interesting. Because why? Here is the lesson that we can learn from Rahab's life. I think Matthew here is pointing out not what she was, but what she became. She became by faith a child of God and followed God. What does the Bible say? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Matthew does not call her a harlot in this. This is very important as we see it. He's focused on her outcome. So let's kind of sum this all up together. As we've been talking about Jericho and Rahab, understand this, that as they were, even so we are under the threat of the judgment of God because of our sins. The Bible says that he who has the Son has life, but he who has not the Son of God has not life, and the wrath of God abideth on him. God takes sin seriously. He does. And understand this, that we talk about the walls of Jericho, that no wall or defense will prove successful against God's action against the ungodly and against sin. Rahab understood that. And even so, God has given the world... Ample, example, ample evidence of his might and his power and his presence. Rahab understood when the news came of what the children of Israel had done by God's hand, she listened up. She had ample evidence of that, and the world has that today. Yet people still reject the Lord. 
and they remain in their sin. Thus they do not and will not receive the grace and the mercy of God. However, Rahab believed God by faith, and she acted upon her faith by protecting those spies. By faith, she pleaded for grace and mercy for herself and for her family. The testimony of Rahab shows that no one is outside the saving work of God. No matter what your background is, no matter what you've done or didn't do, no one is, without, is beyond the reach of God's mercy and forgiveness if they but cry to him. Rahab, understand this, Jesus did not come to call the righteous. He, came to, he called sinners to repentance. Rahab responded with repentance, forsaking her old life and becoming a part of God's people. I think here's the point. I like what my friend Charlie Dyer says about this. God is more concerned about where we are going than where we have been. That's what faith is all about. God blessed Rahab so much that she became the mother of kings and prophets. Jewish tradition says that from her family line emerged eight prophets. Who knows? But Rahab's inclusion as one of what what Charlie Dyer calls the five golden rings of the genealogy of Jesus, the five women... Five golden, don't you like that, ladies, the five golden rings? Okay, all right. But the five golden rings in the genealogy of Jesus reveals the grace and mercy that God gives to those who place their trust in him. Here is the message of Jericho. There is a certain hope for all those who would be saved from destruction. With this, there is an invitation that is graciously extended for us to join God's people. When you trust and follow God, you become a trophy of God's grace and mercy. My friend, that is a God worth following. So as we think about Rahab, what a tremendous testimony. She understood her situation. Her fate was sealed. The Jericho was sealed. But God, in his grace, rescued her because she trusted in him. And there she's in the hall of faith. Can you believe that? You can't make this stuff up. That's what God does. Amen? So that is, and that's just a little part of that thread of scarlet that's woven through time that points us to none other than Jesus the Messiah. I have a question for you. Have you placed your faith and trust in God? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus who died on the cross for your sins and shed his blood for you to take the penalty of sin away? Yes. Have you done that? Have you placed your trust? Do you remember that? If, you have, if you're here today and you've never done that or you have questions about that, I would be more than happy Afterwards, to talk with you from the Bible, God's true word, how you can be wondrously saved. And like Rahab, you'll have a new life, a new beginning. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace if they but come to him. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Rahab understood that. She believed it. Will you do that? If you're here today and you have trusted the Lord, let's walk by faith, not by sight, but let's act upon our faith. Let's be trophies of God's grace and mercy.